Hey, this is Matt McCool here, one of the lead pastors at Takeover Church, and we are so excited that you are listening to this message today. We hope it encourages you. We hope it blesses you. We hope it challenges you to continue on in this journey of faith of following Jesus. And we want to let you know we also have services every single Sunday at 5 p.m., complete with Takeover Kids and a free cafe. It's a good time. We want to invite you and your friends and your family all on out on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Thanks again for listening to this message. Hope you have a great day. Oh, man, how we doing? Wow, Woo. what time of worship. Um, first of all, if you can't vibe to that Church Do song, something's up with you. That was so good. Vital. But tonight, our very own, one of our very own lead pastors, Adrian McClure, is going to be bringing the word. And baby, I love you. So blessed to be your husband. Thank you for always thinking more about me than I do you. And uh, just for being the, the best wife of all time. And uh, an honor to build this church alongside you. So just thank you for this word you're going to give. You guys make some noise for Adrian one time. Um, I have to stand ridiculously high because I'm blind but also very tall. So I hope that's not distracting you. Um, Grandma, I'm over here. Look better? Looks good? Yeah? Okay. Um, so, I'm not going to talk about plants tonight. You weren't here when I preached last time. Just, uh, you're disappointed? Texas said um, I'm not going to talk about plants. I'm going to talk about something else. Um, but last week after service, it was a fantastic service. Matt, like, really brought down the house. It was incredible. Um, I felt the Holy Spirit just pressing on my heart that he wanted me to preach. And... I really don't like preaching. <laughs> so I'd rather be doing like all of the other stuff, like setting up, all the behind the scenes kind of thing, and like getting to know everyone. Um, but he was really pressing on my heart, and he talked to Matt about it, and he was like, sure, yeah, what are you going to preach about? And for whatever reason, I was way um, more excited. yeah, you were totally excited. Yeah, um, I, uh, the Holy Spirit pressed on my heart that I needed to speak tonight about gratitude. And as instantaneously as I knew that I needed to speak about gratitude, all of it coming together came together in pieces and parts, not as easily as initially with gratitude that I needed to speak on. So it's been a journey, and I'm trying to be faithful, so just bear with me. Is that good? Everybody? All right. Uh, Jesus, thank you so much for being here tonight, Father God. I just, I pray that you would be here with us, present. Father God, give us very tender and soft hearts and ears that listen and hear what you're saying to each of us, Father God, that um, the lesson that I'm learning, the, the message I'm preaching tonight is for me as much as it is for anyone else. In Jesus' name, amen. So, with all of that being said, I am going to begin at the beginning. And for us, for me, it's at the beginning of the year, 2019. So in 2019, rolling into 2019, our church was looking pretty good. We were closing on our first year of ministry. Church was growing. Things felt really good. Um, And I'm not sure why the attack came when it did, but it did. And I also know that Jesus suffered hardship his entire life. His ministry came under fire all the time, consistently. And... I don't know if you know this, but Jesus's ministry was only for three years. It started when he was 30, and it ended via his physical body when he was 33. 
Yeah. Um, he was baptized, and after he was baptized, he went and he fasted for 40 days to be as close in communion, in communion with God as he possibly could be. And it was after those 40 days he was really, really hungry, as you can imagine. And that was when the enemy decided, this is it. This is the point where I'm going to be able to get him to break. So the enemy came and tempted him via his personal appetite and power by way of hunger. He told him to turn, if he was so hungry and if he was actually the son of God, to turn these rocks into bread and eat and you won't be hungry anymore. And the second thing he tempted him with was the power of influence. You are actually the son of God, just jump off the top of this temple and call on the angels to catch you before you even touch the ground. And the third thing he called, he tempted him with was power and authority by offering Jesus dominion without having to sacrifice his life. So the devil said, you kneel to me and bow to me and I will give you dominion without having to make the sacrifice that you know you're going to have to make. And obviously, Jesus spoke a whole lot of scripture, scripture to the enemy and told him to get lost, and he did. Yeah. So his, his trial, his period was short in that instant. For me, my trial has been six months. And, and it's still happening for me. And my temptation is not to turn stones into bread. My temptation is to give up, is to quit is to turn away and to yield. And again, I don't know why it happened when it did or why it's lasted as long as it's lasted. But I know that I'm not the only one. In Job 7, 3, it says, So am I, I have allotted months of futility and suffering and long nights of trouble and misery are appointed to me. So Job suffered for months and months. And probably it felt like longer than months and months to him. Probably felt an eternity. I know all of us have been in a season where we ourselves, our hard seasons, our hardship, feels like it goes on forever. I mean, Scott was just up here talking about, you know, waiting for Shannon to get here. I remember going out for ice cream last summer and having a conversation about all of your papers going in and waiting for the approval so that she can even come over here into, into the States. It's, it's insane. So I know that I'm in good company. Like, if you're suffering, you're not suffering alone. Everyone is going through something. So I was going into the new year, preparing myself for the best year yet. Church was great. Just preparing for the best year church was going to have. My marriage was going to be awesome. Um, my family was, was doing really well. Alex was coming out of um, being really, really, really sick. And she was doing so much better. And it just felt like, this is it. We're going to go and just like, we have momentum and we're just going to keep on swinging. And it was actually at the turn of the new year that things really took a dip. Um, the enemy came after my home and my marriage. My health took a dive in a, in a pretty for real way, and our church came under attack. And that's a short list of all of, all of the things. And it was like when one thing would kind of feel like it was letting up, another thing would happen. It's like being dumped under and coming back up for air and being dumped again and being dumped again. Yeah. And it was like 
very successive. We were going into each week, and I was anticipating what is it going to be this week to have. And for me, that started to wear on me very, very heavily. Um, I've talked about mental health before. We all have. A couple of us have from the stage. And this is a church that's not going to shy away from talking about mental health and getting help and getting therapy. And uh, I was I was extremely depressed. I was not functioning well. My personality was altered. I was not who God has called me to be at all because of hardship and brokenness and a very, very long season of hardship. I talk about mental health openly to anyone who I think needs to hear it because that opens a door for someone to feel like it's okay for them to get the help that they need. So that's why I talk about it openly. And we talk about it openly in the church because there's a stigma. There has been in the world and the world is getting better. It's not great yet, but there definitely is in the church where that is something that is not talked about, getting help for our mental healing. Um, but I was at the lowest place I've been in my adult life, and I realized, I was at a, at a point where I realized that while at work, going to the bathroom and crying, just like ugly crying for 15 minutes just so I could go back to my desk to try to act normal, was not okay in this capacity. So I called um, Pine Rest, and I checked myself into outpatient care, and I've been doing that for three months yeah. now. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's, yeah. you can clap. That's, that's <laughs> And uh, it was challenging to do that because sometimes it feels like admitting defeat when we have to ask for help like that. I'm so grateful I did that because yeah. I would not have, I would not have survived. Yeah. I would not have survived and made it this far without having gone through that. So, um, when we talk about mental health, some people get uncomfortable just on, on the daily. You know, you bring up therapy or psychiatric care in your workplace, and that makes people very uncomfortable. They're not sure what it is, but they want to move it over there. They don't want to talk about it. And um, that's for a normal person. If you're a pastor and you talk about having that those issues happening, people definitely do not want to talk about it. And here's why. We've, we've learned very badly. Um, somehow along the way, at least in West Michigan, we are taught that pastors aren't like normal people. Pastors are higher, elevated, less sinful, less broken. Um, and the list goes on. It's hilarious. True. The list goes on and on. And the fact of the matter is, is that pastors are just as tempted, at times just as broken. Um, they are pained, they are sad, they are hurt, and they are fragile, just like anyone else. And I think at TakeOver, we have a very good understanding of that yeah. in this place. So give, give yourselves a <laughs> So a pastor, we're doing what we're doing, um, working through our human brokenness, while simultaneously answering the call to be a leader that God has put us, has put on our lives that separates us from everyone else. That is the only thing. Not a promise of an easy life, not a stamp and a seal of approval that goes on your life that protects you from heartache forever. That would be great, but that's not the case. And if anything, pastors, because they're leading the charge and they are 
planting a flag and standing in direct opposition to the enemy, they are oftentimes the people who get hit first and hardest when the enemy does come to attack. But that being said, that's not the DNA at TakeOver. Um, we understand that our pastors are human, that they're going through stuff just like anyone else. And also TakeOver has been built in a way that um, it's not just on the backs of one or two people. Jesus is obviously the foundation here, but there are eight other pillars of strength and strong people who have been up here to preach that are standing and making this place as solid a foundation as it can be for future generations. We're just building on this right now. So, um, here we are, six months into the year, which is insane. Feels like the new year just rolled over and now it's happening. Um, but, and I'm sure that you're wondering where I'm going with this, but when I came to a moment a few weeks ago of what to do with the pain and the ugly from the season that I'm living in, God really brought to my heart just one word, gratitude. And that's a simple word, but that's an incredibly powerful thing that if we activate in our lives, can change our lives dramatically. He kind of worked, funnily enough, he kind of worked in conjunction with what I was reading at the time to do it. So um, I was reading, <laughs> this is funny. Um, I was reading, I reread this series of books, and it's Little House, Little, Little House on the Prairie. Yeah. 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 Um, they're older. They're older, um, but they're great. And it all stems from when I was a kid, I was diagnosed with a learning disorder, which my mom and dad know all about this. They fought for me like every, every inch of the way. I had a really hard time with paying attention and learning in class. I don't really actually think there's anything wrong with me. Um, I just think that I'm a spirited person and I like to like be outside and do those things versus like math and reading. Um, but I honestly cannot tell you how many times I was scolded by a teacher for staring out the window. Like being in class and just being so zoned out and just staring out the window. Like not even being like physically present like in the room. Um, but it was hard for me. And during the summer when everybody else was like, woo, camping and stuff like that, I often had remedial classes for reading and sometimes for math, but I think it was mainly reading. And um, they were a joy. They tried to make them like fun, like it was a camp. We were like going to a camp. We went there for a couple hours a day and there was like bean bags and you could sit and read on bean bags and stuff. But um, yeah, I really was not interested. Um, I just wanted to be outside and do all that stuff. But before and after like that took place during the summertime, my mom would, she works out every day. She's a beast, like for 45 minutes a day. She is insane. She's incredibly shredded. I know you can't tell, but she is. And uh, she would make me read to her while she worked out. So she'd be on like a fan bike, because it was the 90s, or like a treadmill or something. And I would be reading to her. And, uh, and it, I can't say that I hated it. It was just a challenge for me, because again, I had like some serious ants in my pants. So the first book, one of the first books that we read was The Book of Virtues, and it was not this big. It was like the kids' edition. I 
tried to find it and I can't. I don't know what mission is out of your house. Um, but it was great. It was full of like virtuous stories that were from all different authors all through history that taught you things about justice and forgiveness and it was cool. It, it was really cool. Um, it was a little uh, mature for me at the time, I think. Yeah. I just read the stories and I was like, what the heck is that about? And my mom would tell me and I'd be like, what? That makes no sense. It felt so weird. And then uh, we moved on to this series, which these are kids' books and the type is really big and they have pictures in them. So it was great. I was a lot more stoked on that than I was on the Book of Virtues. Um, but uh, the series is called The Little House Books, and it's by Laura Ingalls Wilder, and they are autobiographical tellings of her life as a child growing up to adulthood on being a pioneer. So it takes place during in America during 1850 to 1900. And we probably only made it through like first four books because, like I said, <laughs> attention span is good. And uh, so I decided that I was going to reread those as an adult yeah. and um, see, see what that was like. And the books are about, um, it was right after the Civil War in America, so the country was very divided. And it was very, very spread out and very wild. Have you ever seen the movie The Revenant? It was like that. Oh, okay, there was like <laughs> wildness everywhere and lawless, lawlessness everywhere. And um, these people were literally just trying to survive. They, uh, the government put out a thing like Manifest Destiny from sea to Chinese sea. Like they wanted all of America to be civilized, to be tamed. And they had these great incentives that they were giving people to go and do it like a dollar for 40 acres and then an extra 30 acres if you just live on it and have kids and like raise crops and stuff like that. It sounded great, but it was very, very hard because the stuff that we take for granted, like going to the store if we need butter and like getting a few sticks of butter, like they'd have to buy a cow and then milk the cow and then churn the butter and there wasn't electricity or heat or anything like that or running water and it was insane. And as a child, I was like, wow, this is crazy. People live this way. Yeah. So nuts. I totally want to do it. Um, there are some people who, who still live that way, which is great. Um, none of those people are us. Okay? So <laughs> life, was, life was hard. But as a child, in reading just those first four installments, it, it, there, like hardship would come, but Laura's perspective on hardship, like as a little kid, was just like, Oh yeah, well, you know, like um, she had her parents and her family, and she trusted them, and life was good. Like it really, really wasn't that challenging. It was challenging to us. It wasn't challenging to them. Um, her her dad literally built every single house they lived in by hand, except for one, which was in a hill under the ground. Bizarre. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm reading through this. It's just like, how did any of us make it? I don't know if any of our ancestors made it. It's crazy. But we're here, and that's great. Right. So, um, so anyways, Laura, as she's encountering hardship as a young, as like a little kid, was very, very different. And as I, as I, as an adult, as I began to reread the series, and I got up into Laura's teens, and even when she enters adulthood, there was a very hard turn with her understanding of hardship 
and what life is actually like as an adult. And um, I think it was, it started when her dog, Jack, passes away. I think she's 10 years old when she like, first recognizes, this is what it's like to be an adult. This is what loss is like. So loss is the first thing that she encounters that really makes her think, this, this is what being a grown-up person is like. And from there, um, they moved all over, like all over the country, I think northeast-ish area, um, up and down, back and forth. They encountered prairie fires that burned the crops, sickness, uh, they all got scarlet fever. After having scarlet fever, her sister had a stroke that left her blind. Um, they moved from home to home because of drought. One year the locusts were so bad that there was like no way that they could grow anything anymore. Um, there was wolves, wild animals, starvation was always uh, a pressure. And there was one winter that lasted seven months. So, yeah. We think it's bad here. <laughs> that would be really bad. So, um, I totally believe in the global warming thing, but knowing that that kind of crap was happening back then kind of makes me feel a little bit better about, you know, our winters being as long as they are and things being crazy. So, life was hard, and um, it got even harder as the, as the series continued, but it was absolutely the hardest in the ninth book, which actually was um, published posthumously, so after Laura had died. And I fully believe that she never intended to publish it because it was the roughest of all of the books at all. It, it, was, it was missing like this altruistic vein of hope and truth that all of the other books had the entire way. So when Laura was 19, she got married and she moved into this beautiful house that her husband had built for her by hand. Guys, commitment, come on, hello. And uh, it was great. It starts off and it's wonderful. And then the first year that they're married, it's just like Oregon Trail status. Does anyone get that? Yes. Anyone? Okay, yes? All right, it's a game. You try to make it from one end of the country to the other in a covered wagon, you never can make it and you always die. You get, you get typhoid or something, it's, it's just very good, good. It's very, very hard. It, yeah. So um, they lose a crop after crop. The first was to hail. The second was to extreme heat. This is like consecutive years. She gets pregnant. She has a terrible pregnancy. She's sick the entire time. She has a terrible birth situation that takes place. She has something that she calls her blue days, which I believe is one of the first like actual documentations I've read about postpartum depression. Um, they both get diphtheria. Diphtheria is bad. My mom says it's because of dirty water. I have no idea. But anyways, um, they both get diphtheria and her husband, who goes back to work too soon, has a stroke after the diphtheria and he loses, loses a bunch of his fine motor skills, like, what you need if you're a farmer and you're raising horses, like, it's crazy. You can't even, like, tie knots and stuff and it's awful. Um, they have to move to a shanty on another plane to try to prove their claim on that land. They cannot do it. She has a baby. Baby passes away just after a few weeks. They move back to the original home that he built for her. And at the very end of the book, there's a kitchen fire and the house burns down. And that is literally how the whole series ended, which I don't think at all is how she intended it to end. 
they go on and have a wonderful life. She lived to be like 96. He lived to be like 92. They have a daughter named Rose, who was one of the original libertarians who fought for us to have the right to vote, ladies. Yeah, put your hands together. Come on. Yeah, let's go. So life did improve, but um, as I was reading this, the Holy Spirit was like really working on me. And granted, my experiences are totally different from Laura's and her family's experiences. Really different. Um, but they all fall into the same category of hardship in our day and age. And no matter what, there was a pervasive theme that was through the entire book that was gratitude this family had for each and every day, even when they're living under the ground in a hill and they have next to nothing. There was gratitude for every single thing that they had. At one point, um, in, the, in the winter that was seven months long, it's in the book called A Long Winter, um, they, it was like blizzarding for legit a month. And the house was pretty much buried in snow. It was so atmospheric with all of the snow and precipitation that there was next to no natural daylight at all. So they were running out of fuel for their lamps. So it was, it was in darkness, pretty much. They were running out of fuel for their stove. They were burning straw. They were twisting straw into like sticks and burning that. And if you know anything about burning straw, it burns like that. So they were constantly burning straw all the time. They were running out of food. They were living off from legit a potato a day and three slices of bread, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So things, things were really tough. It was cold, it was hard. And Laura's father, every night, would take up his fiddle and he would just play all these music and they would sing together and they would lift each other's spirits up and they would just be grateful for everything that they had. They would have church in, in the dark, yeah. pretty much. And they chose gratitude over submission to fear, submission to doubt, and submission to pain, submission to hunger, yeah. submission to dark. And that really shook me. Not, not that they were grateful, it was that they never were not grateful. Yeah. They were continuously grateful. It wasn't, oh, they would stumble and not be grateful. They were constantly grateful for every little thing that they had. Yeah. Have you ever heard fake it till you make it? Yeah. Everybody's yeah. heard that, right? Okay, so I've heard that a lot in Christian culture. And I've heard it in the world, too. And I think it's just gross to me. And I totally reject it. I remember being at another church in the them saying um, to my mom, oh, you just fake it till you make it. And that never, ever sat well with me at all. Because I don't believe that God has called us to fake it. But if we're going through life with a tongue in our mouths that sings his praises and speaks of his faithfulness to us and our gratitude to him, how much does that change faking it until we make it into enduring it with a heart of gratitude? Come on. Yeah. In 1 Peter 1.7 it says, so that the genuineness of your faith, which is much more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested and purified by fire, may be found to result in your praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Yeah. In the Message Bible, it says, "Now know how great this. I know how great this makes you feel, even though you had to put up with every kind of aggravation in the meantime. Pure gold, put in the fire, comes out of it proved pure." Genuine faith put through suffering comes out proved genuine. 
When Jesus wraps this all up, it's your faith and not your goal that God will have on display as evidence of his victory. Yeah, that is good. So even when we are tested, even when we are put through the fire and refining is taking place, the result could and should be praising and bringing glory to our God. Yeah. And that begins with gratitude for what he is doing and what he has done. Yeah. Now I know that this message is a journey, and it started with a very personal sharing and moved into another woman's very personal sharing into the pioneer days, and is like swiveling back into real time. But the truth is that regardless of the stage in history, God has been telling us all the same foundational things. And this time, for me, it has been learning about gratitude even in the midst of the fire. And because of this, because the Holy Spirit was working on me, and because I kind of, I needed to know what to do with this pain, and with the ugly from the season, it started me on a 21-day get out hashtag get after grateful challenge. And I'm one week in, and it's been really good so far. The week was really good until we got to the weekend. And some stuff happened um, with my sister's health that really was really challenging for me. And I stumbled. I had a moment where it was hard for me to be grateful for what was going on in my life. It was hard for me to look at my parents' suffering look at the pain that they're going through, and to remember what God has already brought us through. I'm good. I got through it. I'm here. But it's a sign of a good leader. So I hope that um, I hope that touches you. I read through devotional about gratitude every day. It's a 21-day series, and I'm sharing it with the babes. So hopefully I've been reading along. Yeah. I'm openly, Ingrid, I'm openly praying and thanking God for all that I have to be grateful for on a daily basis, regardless of when I feel I need to tell him that, I try to make it consistently. As things happen in my day, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for that. And I talk about gratitude with as many people as I can on a daily basis to remind myself and encourage others that, you know, we have so much to be um, because of that, I have found my perspective shifting. I am, by nature, a pessimist, which is tough. Jesus doesn't want that. And uh, I find myself seeing the negatives without even seeing positives. So I'm now at a stage where I'm not perfect. I'm at least seeing positives and negatives, and at least recognizing them both. Yes, thank you, small victory. Um, the words coming out of my mouth have changed. And a healing has started to grow slowly and take place in my heart that I doubted would come, but it's coming. So I'm grateful for that too. And as I read through um, my devotionals, this is one thing that I came across that I wanted to share with you. And it says, as I read through today's scriptures, passages on, that show us how to give thanks, the actions of gratitude overlapped with my understanding of spiritual disciplines that I've studied. First one is praise. They sing with praise and thanksgiving to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Simplicity. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to any who had need. Corporate worship and feasting. My favorite. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. They broke bread from home to home and they ate 
their food with joyful and sincere hearts, singing, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. Prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. And that last one stuck with me. Because we should be thinking of what God has done for us when before we ever bring something to him that we still need him to do. And these are just little things that we can do. All of these other little things that we praise, simplicity, corporate worship, feasting, singing, and prayer. Those are all little things that we can do that have that make a huge impact. And I'm already starting to experience that myself. It doesn't just work for me, though. This is, this is for everyone. Yeah. And even though I'm still in the middle of learning this, I'm not sure why God wanted me to share it with you in the middle of learning this. Maybe it was to show vulnerability, show that no one is perfect, and it's a journey for everyone. Um, it is a journey for everyone. And I just want to say that when you are tempted to despair, don't give up. There's always something if the worship team wants to come back up, that would be awesome. Um, and all of the things that I again mentioned before, we do those all here. And if you're new and you didn't know that, we break bread a lot together. Like a lot, a lot. That's like our favorite restaurant. We like to eat food. And I was reminded this week when we had team night on Wednesday, as Matt mentioned before, that earlier in the year when the enemy came at our church, we would have tea nights and there would be maybe five people there. And it was painful and hard and that hurt. And there was a lot of not understanding why. But Wednesday we had 20 people at our house. 20 people who dedicated and made time to be there and to, to dig in. I had counted the babies, there were two, counting them, and it was unreal. We broke some bread, we praised the Lord, we stirred each other's faith up, we prayed, and we gave glory to God. And I thought that tonight, the perfect way to end the night, would for us to leave this place with truth, how important gratitude towards our God is, by having communion. So if you would please bow your heads, we're going to pray and do this thing. With the Last Supper with his disciples, Jesus was showing that by breaking bread, he was, he was symbolizing breaking his body. And his sacrifice would yield more life and more freedom than we could ever imagine. And he was grateful for that breaking and that hardship, even if it scared him in a moment where he asked God if it could pass from him. And when God said that it couldn't, he was grateful to make the sacrifice because it allowed us to have direct relationship with God through him. So we thank you, Jesus, for the sacrifice and for the hardship you endured, for our freedom and out of love for each and every one of us. We lift up grateful hearts to you today, repenting of ingratitude, praising you with our mouths and hearts, and asking you to be with us in hardship that we might overcome no victory, and that the glory would be yours forever and ever. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. As we continue with this last song of worship, please come up and take a beyond and go back to your seats. Okay.